step out of the grave break into the wild and don't be afraid run into wide open spaces grace is waiting for you dance like the weight has been lifted grace is waiting where the
there's power in his name Oh, there's freedom in his name Worship his name Jesus How we love you this morning And I just want to speak the name of Jesus
Just while while I uh, just on on that note, let me go ahead and just take a moment uh, and pray. Father God, we are so grateful that uh, we have Jesus. That is our connection to you, and so Jesus, you are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place and guide our time in your holy name? Amen. Hey, if you are a first time visitor, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm really really glad that you're here. Uh, and th- we had a busy week. We had a lot of fun things that happened. We had our first post-COVID women's breakfast yesterday, which is a lot of fun. I know that many of you were a part of that, and we will have another one come January for the ladies. Guys, we are also going to have one in January, so we'll let you know the dates of that a little later. Uh, another thing I want that we celebrated this week was Veterans Day. And Veterans Day is one of those times where we stop and we recognize the men and women who put their lives on the line for us, kind of willing to sacrifice. I remember Jesus saying, greater love has nobody than this, that they would lay down a life for a friend. And some of the men and women who have fought, whether it be on a battlefield across the pond or on a battlefield just out in our own streets, There are men and women who have lost their lives in the defense of other people. But we also recognize that there are some who didn't lose their lives but still carry the wounds, the memories, the the scars, whether externally or internally in their hearts. Um, And so for just a moment, we want to pause and we want to thank those of you who have fought. Uh, And I know that some of you are here this morning. So if you have fought Um, If you have been a part of the armed services or if you are part of the police department, would you please stand up? Because we would like to recognize you and thank you for your service. We got, we got everybody from World War, II, World War II vets sitting there in the back in, in Merv and Ben, all the way up through people who um, have just recently come out of the military. And so we are grateful for the ways that you have sacrificed. We don't even begin to recognize the sacrifices that you have made. 
I also want to recognize that there are people in our community. I know that on, on uh, Veterans Day, we often see pictures of the tomb of the unknown soldier. Right? Have you, you seen that? It's soldiers that have lost their lives, and we don't know who they are. We don't knew, know what name to ascribe to the body. But we honor them all the same. And yet we also want to recognize that there are forgotten soldiers all around us, men and women, who as they have come back off of one battlefield, find themselves in a new one, just trying to keep their head above water. And I know that that, the heart for those men and women, and we have a lot of them, my, my buddy, I got one right here for you, buddy. My buddy Bill here, uh, specifically God has been burdening his heart for our veterans in our community over the last uh, well, several years it's grown even more. So why don't you just tell us a little yes. bit about what... We don't need to talk about how many years. Thank you very much. You act young. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, we... Um, I, my father was in the military for 27 years, and uh, so he served. So I grew up a Navy brat. Go Navy. So he would never forgive me if I didn't say that. So... But yes, we, we have served the military now for, for quite a few years, and I guess I will say it's 1978. Do not say it. That was the year I was born. <laughs> Bless him, God, for he knows not what he does. But anyway, we, we have served the military families in our area, and this year has, is the biggest service that we've ever done. We're looking to serve... We, we will be serving 1,100 families at Thanksgiving, which is the biggest service that we've ever done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and over 1,000 of those families are our veteran families um, throughout Orange County. Um, yes, they, we have been asked to go to a lot of other counties. Evidently, people think that Fresh Beginnings Ministries is a lot bigger than it really is. Um, a couple Our of God is bigger than that is, he is correct. Yes, and God has all the cattle on a thousand hills, and when He gives me all of the the buildings on a thousand hills, then we'll we'll work with that. So here's what we need: we are we definitely need financing. Um, we we are we are in desperate need of our finances this year. Thanks to our friends at COVID, that's all I'm going to say about that. But yes, it did take its toll on financing and, and income for us. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But the big deal for us this year is that there's a couple of things we need to fill those boxes of food because each family that comes to us will receive a giant box of food and they get a frozen turkey. Back in August, I went to our friends at Restaurant Depot in Huntington Beach, or Fountain, yeah, it's in Huntington Beach, and I said, hey, can you reserve 1,100 turkeys? And it's really fun to do this every year because you go to a grocery guy and you say, hey, I need 1,100 turkeys frozen. <laughs> First, they don't believe you. They go, sure you do. You know, he just keeps writing. I said, hey, excuse, excuse me. No, really. I, I need 1,100 turkeys. And he says, yeah, okay, would you kind of, somebody escort this gentleman out. He's older, and I think he's lost his mind. <laughs> really, you got to talk about the age card, dude? Anyway, so finally got his attention. Marvin, really, we've been friends a while. Look at me in my face. He says, what? I need 1,100 turkeys. What, by next week or what? No, you have until Thanksgiving week, but I need 1,100. He goes, Billy, I don't even know where I can find them. So he calls me next week, and he says, and this is a true story. He says, by the way, when you're praying, Pastor Bill, please pray for my family because I don't know how you did this, but my vendor says because of what you do, we're going to have your 1,100 turkeys when it's time. We can't get those for anybody else. 
So, and, and as you may know, that right now there's a lot of shortages sure, of that's things. That's correct. So the fact that you were able to get and it. And at that huge. time, he tells me it's going to cost you over thirty-seven thousand dollars. And I said, Oh, well, hey, guess what? God can figure that out. But then he sends me a bill for twenty-one thousand. And I said, Oh, what happened? And he said, Our owner just deducted them. So we haven't been able to pay for those yet. So we're working on the income to pay for that. But I just want you to know they have been very good to us and deducted a whole lot of money. Yeah. So the turkeys are 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 there waiting to be paid for. But the big deal right now is if you see this in the stores and you're shopping, please go buy us one. So if I get everybody or one to dozen. go buy, or yeah, if you want to buy 10, that's okay too. Jackie, or J Jackie, would you stand up please? This is my wonderful warehouse manager right there. She does an amazing job. Okay? You just stole all of the jewels from her crown by telling everybody. I'm just playing. No, I'm just joking. We're not getting the revelation yet. Wow. Yeah, don't start that yet. That's in January. Okay, are these? Well, this is stuffing. This, this, is stuffing. this is stuffing. Oh, that's stuffing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, this is stuffing. You can either buy this one or the stovetop. You know what? No box has ever been returned to us for the wrong kind of ingredients. So you can either do the, the Mrs. Covison stovetop or any of the stuffing, even the store brand stuffings. We need those. We need, by the way, between now and Thanksgiving, I need 1100 Okay. I also need French fried onions, Thank so you. as many of those, I need uh, 1,100 of these as well, okay? Uh, Eric, show you the gravy packets, the turkey or the chicken ones, either like one. Manna Please right don't now. bring us pork. They do, that doesn't go good with turkey. So um, if you could just bring us the gravy packets, that would be great. And any of the amounts of those you want to buy, we will never have too many. Please feel free to understand that I have lots of time to give lots of them away. So that if any of that that you can do, I will be in the back after church if you want to get that. We have a big chest back there. So in the next coming days, if you want to drop them off here at church. Um, oh, Jeannie's going to kill. Oh, hi, Jeannie. I love you, sister. Just bring them by the she church at any point this week. She here in front of people. If you want to bring them up here, bring them to the church, drop them off in bags, whatever, we will make sure they get in the chest, and every couple of days someone will be here to pick them up. If it's not me, it's whoever uh, wears who. I got lots of other people's. Yes, who? Oh. What? Oh, yams and sweet potatoes. Yams and sweet potatoes are where we're short. Okay, see, that's why she does what she does. Okay. Canned, please. I need canned everything. Yes. Doesn't do me any good to have fresh ones. They don't last as long. Okay. Is there any other questions that I can answer? I'm supposed to be wrapping this up. Any other grocery orders right now? Yeah, that's right. Don't yeah. help Ethan. Okay. Like, so are we good? Okay, thank you. So I didn't mean to take this like, much time. Uh, it's fine. Okay. Uh, if you would like to help in any way... Uh, Actually, Jackie, would you be at the back of the very end? Because I know he's going to be stuck up on stage initially. If you would like to, uh, if you have stuff that you want to drop off, you can throughout the week. But if you'd like to give financially, maybe you want to sponsor an entire Thanksgiving box. How much does it cost uh, for one For meal? the box, it's 35 The turkeys are 25 So it's $60 to do a whole week. And by the way, the box does have all the things for a Thanksgiving dinner. Plus, it gives them 20 extra meals. So the, the whole thing is $60 to do the turkey plus the box, which is the Thanksgiving dinner plus 20 extra meals. So, so if you'd like you. to give towards that, Jackie will be in the back. If you would like to, if you just happen to see stuffing, onions, gravy packets, or candy yams, buy them. You can bring them by the church. 
We will have, you know, we will have that thing on Sunday if you just want to bring them all in on Sunday. And that's how we can help. Now, we're not doing it. Lighthouse is not doing this all by ourselves. Fresh Beginnings is not doing this all by themselves. We have the, the community of Christ in, yes. in Costa Mesa is jumping in on this. But you guys get to be on the ground floor. And we're just, we're inviting you to join us in caring for yes. many of the veterans that have, are, are on a battlefield all their own right yes, now. And they feel sure. pretty forgotten in this season so would you pray for uh would you pray for our veterans but would you also pray for those forgotten veterans in our community oh i sure will heavenly father we know and you know all of those that are with us and we thank you for the service of these men and women who are in this congregation you know their needs even though we don't know every single one of them but you do god So we ask for the healing that needs to take place in the lives of these men and women who just write an open check to their country for whatever it takes. We ask that you bless them, that you give them strength, that you continue to give them even more courage than they've ever shown, that you continue to give them the blessings that they they well deserve for what they have given to all of us. Father, for those that are watching and streaming, that that are sitting at home and watching us online, that they would be blessed and receive your strength and your healing power, Father, and and your encouragement that they would be blessed by the Holy Spirit. Father, for those that need to have your encouragement of the families who have lost loved ones because they have sacrificed for their countries, how they we wish for them to know that there are millions of us who are so grateful for their sacrifice. And may you touch their hearts and let them know, God, that you hold them in the your hands, that they may feel your presence and your power. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Um, I also want to hold on one second because I got one more. I know, as if that wasn't enough. There's one more thing I want to let you know about because we've been talking about providing meals for those outside of our community, but we also recognize that there are some within our community that Thanksgiving is not something you look forward to. It's a pretty lonely time. And so I want to invite Kilby and Rachel. Kilby refused to stand last week. So now he gets to come up on stage. Hey, there we go. Yeah, come on, buddy. Uh, Kilby and Rachel have a heart for providing a place for people who, who don't feel like they have a place to go on Thanksgiving. And so we just I wanted to give them an opportunity to share how you can help support that or even take part in that. So. Okay, so we did this here two years ago, and it's kind of a potluck style. So we have people sign up if you want to come, and people who sign up who want to bring food and drop it off. It's just a way for everybody who doesn't have somewhere to go to have a home-cooked meal and celebrate with family. So the family room will be decorated. It will look like home, so it'll be fun. So, Kilby uh, and Rach, how can, how can people sign up? Because I know that, for instance, some of you might have family members that are kind of pulling you, and you're like, I can't be there on Thanksgiving, but I'd love to really help support that. How can people support you? Okay, so we'll have a sign-up today and, uh, and Sunday, and I'll, we'll be leaving our emails, so you can email us. Also, I'll leave my phone number if you need to contact me. If you have any questions, we'll answer them. It's really easy. It seems hard, but it's not. And, and what about somebody out there that has a friend that doesn't attend Lighthouse, but they know that they probably don't have anywhere to go on Thanksgiving? Everybody's welcome. Invite your neighbors, invite family. It, it, 
it's a hard time and sometimes people are really struggling. I just don't want anyone to be alone for Thanksgiving. So bring them and we'll just, we just want to bless them. All right. So there you go. You now know if you have a neighbor who has no place to go, I would say yeah. one, if you're having Thanksgiving in your home, invite your neighbor to have Thanksgiving with you. But if you are planning on coming, invite your neighbor to come with you. All right. And if you don't want to do dinner, come and have dessert with us. I'm sure there'll be plenty. Eric will probably try and make dessert. I love dessert. Yeah, it's my favorite. All right. Thank you, guys. Oh. Three to seven. Three to seven. Thank you. But you're welcome to show up early and hang out with us. Yeah. And help. I don't know if though if we'll need lots of help. We want hey, this to bless is family. You. This, this is, is family style. Everybody we, hands in. We want to bless you. We want you to come and relax <laughs> and have a good Thanksgiving. All right. Thank you, guys. Oh, sure. Now it's the awkward silence as I try to wheel this thing up here. and I don't really like the awkward silence so much. You know what, though? I am old school, and you guys know that. So if you don't know who I am, then, then you know. I, Nassim made this pulpit for me. And Nassim, wherever you are, thank you. I promise to uh, use it every time I get a chance to speak. And uh, I always feel like it's, uh, it's worth using a pulpit and probably going to have to start wearing some spectacles pretty soon because uh, I'm seeing the font size grow and uh, Eric's still at like eight font, nine font. I'm at 18 and moving towards 20 font, but uh, that's only because we don't get younger, uh, we just get wiser. And so I'm definitely getting wiser and I hope that you guys were encouraged by all that. A lot of stuff going on for a small church. God is blessing us with a lot of different things. And if you know about Lighthouse, there's two different lighthouses in the town, and both lighthouses have a lot of impact in the city, have a lot of different ministries in the city. So thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for being part of it. Um, I am Pastor Jeff Lee. I am the associate pastor here, and I'm also, the reason why I stood is I'm the chaplain for Costa Mesa Police Department, so I wasn't just standing to get a view of these men and women, but I've, uh, I'm also serving as well. And blessed because our new chief has had like three separate full dress events already this month. So I've been in full regalia a couple of times. Fun to see Russell Toller, who also works at the city, uh, and see him in my different uh, uni. Um, I'm always surprised when people see me outside of the church, either in my fishing regalia <laughs> or my uh, chaplain uni. And they always like, you don't look the same. Yeah, I, we have lives outside of the church, and they're kind of entertaining and interesting, but uh, Recently, you've seen me on Wednesday nights. If you guys are looking for me on Wednesday nights, I've been hanging with our students, and I'm going to save that upcoming information for about a January announcement, but God is doing some really exciting things in the church, and excited to be part of it, and thank you guys for choosing us. Lots of different choices in the town, um, but we're a small but mighty church, and I think that God has left this remnant here to do work, and hopefully that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be finishing up the book of John, which once again, where's Russell at when I need him? I mean, he's been talking about the book of John. We're going to finish the book of John today. I'm going to be in chapter 21. I'm going to actually focus on verse 15 through 17, but I will give you a quick synopsis of 1 through 14 because it is a fishing story, and I just can't let it go. Um, but I want to encourage you if, you, if you haven't been here, if you've been here, great, but if you've missed the sequence, if you've missed the book of John sequence, the first thing I want to encourage you is to, to go back and realize that that is a tremendous resource. It's on our website. You can go back and access all the messages. Along with each message, there's a PDF in there. 
And if you're missing one, you can always contact uh, office at Lighthouse Community and get that. But along with the study notes as well, and really realize something that there's a reason why the book of John is the most recommended first book of the Bible to read. In case you didn't know that, um, not just pastors and seminary students, but for the most part, most people in a church environment will tell you the first book of John, if someone wants to read a New Testament gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is traditionally where you want to start because those are plus or minus the story of Jesus. John is the most complete story of Jesus. And I say complete because he starts at the beginning, right? In the beginning was the logos, in the beginning was the word. And then he finishes kind of with the resurrection and, and Jesus' uh, return to the disciples. So I just want to encourage you guys, take the time to do that. For me, um, when I graduated from seminary in 2006, um, and I was struggling with my first student ministry uh, church assignment to try to find curriculum and different things to do, we just did a book study in the book of John, and we took a full year. And to this date, every time I teach the book of John, I want to attest to something. Every single time that I've taught the book of John, whether as a pastor as a parishioner, or in any other capacity, I've always continually found new information, new insight, and new gleanings. That's something pretty unique to say about a book of the Bible. I know we say the Word of God is inspired, but I'm just telling you, that's just the reality of it. It's, it's not only so inspired, but did you notice sometimes when we were teaching the book of John, it started to mirror current events in the actual world that we're living in? That's a pretty unique thing when you think about something that was written 2,000 years ago, and then all of a sudden we're reading it, and it's mirroring the this, this scenario from 2,000 years ago. And I think that's why it's so exciting for me. I actually do open the book of John every time, and I'm expecting it to teach. And so today we'll finish with this amazing passage. Um, it's a little bit difficult passage because it's going to talk about the restoration and renewal of Peter. And I say difficult only in the sense of one thing. Peter's part of what's the inner three. And Jesus has this cohort of 12 disciples, 12 eyewitnesses, 12 guys that's been following him the whole time. But within that 12, there's three guys that he plus or minus is doing life with. One is actually the author of this book who continually refers to himself in the third person as beloved. Uh, an interesting term to refer to yourself. But in other words, he's basically saying like, I got Jesus, Jesus has got me and I'm really close to him. So along with that is Peter and James. And he's going to talk about this last passage about the renewal of someone of the inner three. And I find that kind of interesting because after all the things they've seen, after all the things they've done, actually verse 25 that John wanted, I feel like John wanted to end with this. It said, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them was written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So imagine someone who was eyewitness to the three and a half year ministry of someone from the front row along with all these different things, as we approach this passage today, he's broken, he's hopeless, he's lost his call for ministry, and he's gone back to what he originally was doing when Jesus called him. And that gives me great hope as we get a chance to talk about this morning, that Jesus has a DNA molecule in him that allows us to restore and renew at any given time any person who is broken. You can never get outside of the renewing power of who Jesus is. So let me pray. And we'll get started with this amazing passage. Father God, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for the opportunity to see your word and hear your word and study your word. I pray that we too, like the Bereans, Father, would find ourselves in a position where we challenge God's word, where even as we talked about last week with Thomas, we wouldn't see ourselves as having questions or having concerns and feeling that we're weak, Father, but instead realize we are weak and we're going to struggle. And the greatest place that we can be weak and struggle is at the feet of Jesus, where we lay our questions, lay our concerns, 
even our hopelessness, Father, at your feet as you turn that around and restore us and renew us into the people that you would have us be. Because the reality is for Peter, it's not about his failures, Father, but it's about your faithfulness in him. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to study your word this day. We do it all and say it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So last week, we covered a couple things as we ended chapter 20. Um, We talked about uh, Mary going to the empty tomb, um, having a situation where she's actually having a discussion with an individual and doesn't recognize that it is the risen Lord. We talked about the first foot race ever recorded in the Bible, which the beloved himself won and recorded, another interesting component of John. We also talked about the fact that Jesus is now returning to the upper room where the disciples have basically locked themselves in in fear as Jesus realizes there's going to be a need for restoration, not for just a single individual, but for the fullness of all of them. In case you hadn't wondered, Jesus is going to do this for about 40 days. He's going to continue to appear to people and kind of restore hope and encourage people. And he's going to appear to over 500 different individuals. And that ends up being the foundation of faith that we have today from these initial people uh, as they wait in the upper room for the Spirit of God to move. And then John 20 ended last week with uh, Pastor Eric's message on doubting Thomas. And what we call Doubting Thomas, Pastor Eric, uh, was an interesting twist on that for us to reconsider the fact that maybe there wasn't something wrong with Thomas. Maybe Thomas was more normal than we give him credit for. And instead of just having doubt, he, like us, had concerns. And so uh, Jesus takes time at the end of chapter 20 to actually meet with him and go over his very specific concerns. His concerns were, once again, like, I'm not going to be able to believe. I'm not going to be able to go forward until I touch and see for myself. And so Jesus meets him in that very situation, allows Thomas to both touch and see and restores him to faith, but reminds him, blessed are those who believe and who have not seen. So with 20 ending, it actually starts 21. And even though I'm not going to teach 21, I want to summarize it because uh, chapter 21 verses 1 through 14 is an amazing fishing story. And on behalf of all the fishermen, I feel like I wouldn't be doing you due diligence if I didn't tell you the fishing story. So let me quickly summarize 1 through 14. Jesus tells the guys, stay in the upper room. Wait for the Spirit of God to come. And it's going to be there for 40 days. So during some period of time, the guys become stir-crazy. Peter, once again, is at the middle of all this. And during a stir-crazy moment, he just realizes something. He can't sit. He can't wait. He's probably struggling with the fact that the last time that he saw the Lord, he doubted him so badly. He, he was so bold in his denial of him that it was just overwhelming to him. So he thinks in his mind, I'm going to go back to doing something, or maybe I'm just going to find some way to occupy my time. There's two trains of thoughts, by the way, in commentaries on that. One train of thought is clearly that Peter was just keeping himself busy. Idle hands are the work of the devil, so he's keeping himself busy. The other train of thought is, no, he's actually fallen away, and he can't be around the other guys, and he's so guilt-ridden that he wants to go back to his former life. Regardless of all that, he goes back to fishing, and as he's walking out to go fishing, who goes with him other than John, right, the other part of the inner three, and some other guys, and so he takes them out for an all-nighter. They're going to just go fishing, they're going to get out of there, they're going to try to, you know, break away from what they've been doing and give themselves a chance to kind of uh, fill their tanks with something different. And what happens? Nothing. No fish. It doesn't say no bites, but I have to imagine the only thing worse than catching no fish is no bites, right? They're out fishing, not for an hour, not for two hours, but all night long. And somewhere around morning time, someone walking along the shoreline starts to holler out to them. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've been fishing all night with my friends, and I'm already kind of struggling as it is, and fishing was supposed to be my relief, and I haven't caught anything, the last thing I want to hear is a yodeler from the shoreline 
hollering out any kind of information to me. He doesn't just holler out any information. He opens with little ones. That's a term of encouragement, right? Little ones, try the other side and you will catch some fish. Now, I don't know how these guys were thinking, but after an all-nighter not catching any fish, there's a couple of different scenarios that play out in my mind, but none of them are written down, so I can't teach you them because they're not true, but I can imagine that there was a lot of other things going through their mind rather than let's throw the net on the other side. But John says, I know the voice, and they throw the net on the other side, and something happens. They end up netting such a large amount of fish that the Bible says that the, the net should have ripped. And then John, being who he is, takes the time to document 153 large fish. The scenario ends with John then telling Peter, it's the Lord, right? After winning the foot race, one of the things that had come first to John is this idea of faith, found faith. And so he has the opportunity once again in that moment to tell Peter, I know that voice. I know who that is. And he tells Peter, it's the Lord. Our boy, Peter. Oh, Peter, today's restoration is so due. Peter is 100% all in. Peter is one of those guys where if he's really good, he's really good. And when he's really bad, he's really bad. So what does Peter do when he hears it's Jesus? He grabs his jacket and he jumps in. That makes perfect sense, right? Because Peter's so impatient. He's so spontaneous. He's so like gung-ho. And he forgets that he's failed the Lord. He forgets all these different things. He's just like, I got to go. Like, I got to get to the shoreline. The Bible then records he's about 100 yards offshore. So the guys are then working. Thanks a lot, Peter, working on gathering the load and getting it into the shore. And Peter comes swimming into the shoreline, and the Bible records that when he gets to the shore, he notices something. Jesus has a couple of things going on. One, he has a fire going, and he has fish on the fire. I don't know about you, but it takes me a while to build a fire, like recently for the church camp. It takes me a while to build a fire, let alone fire and get fish and things. Another miraculous event, right? And he gets to the shore and he invites Peter to sit down. He invites all the guys in to sit down. And I just wanted to note one thing before we start the actual passage. You might miss something if I didn't have the chance to teach this, but this is just my first early nugget in the passage. I got to study this. Jesus doesn't need their fish. Jesus doesn't need anything from them. He already has it. Six o'clock in the morning, resources are really tough at six o'clock in the morning. Seeing, pretty tough in the morning, right? He's calling out at dawn to them. And by the time Peter leaves the boat, a hundred-yard swim, I mean, it was Pastor Eric, it should have been pretty fast. But I mean, a hundred-yard swim shouldn't take that long. But the first part of this miracle is not just the miraculous catch. The, the miraculous part of this miracle is that every component of this is just reminding them something. I already have everything that I need. What I need is you. And what I need for you to do is stop fishing, sit down, And remember something, I'm going to take care of your physical needs. I'm going to provide you spiritual and physical food, but I need you to sit down and listen because I am your risen rabbi and I have something to say to you. I can't help but think about something before we even get to the passage. If that doesn't scream to you, a savior whose DNA wants to love and wants to restore before anything else, regardless of what the conversation is about to take place, before anything happened, Jesus was already showing Peter something he desperately needed. Agapeo, agape, unconditional love. And that's going to be an important part of this conversation. So turn with me and we'll read the two verses and then we'll tear it apart. Verses 15 and 17. Verse 15, and when they had finished eating, so Jesus called them in, he had the fire, everything going, he called everybody in, and when they finished eating, Jesus said to him, Simon Peter, all right, first note there, Simon Peter, his name's not Peter, his name's not Simon Peter, it's Peter, he renamed him, 
But just this initial claim to his old name is a reminder that things have changed. And he's letting him know something. Things have changed. Everything has changed for you, but nothing has changed for me. I've known you from the beginning. I know you when you were Simon. I'm the one that called you. And I know you in the end. And it's okay with me, but I want you to understand something. Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, this is an interesting commentary battle as well when you get a chance to read. Two of the perspectives are this. Is he pointing at the load of fish? It's a giant load of fish. 153 large fish to any fisherman is going to be pride. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of pride in that. Is this, is this what you love? Is this the most important thing? Do you love me more than these? Or the second side of that commentary says this. Or do you love me more than this? Your posse, your group, you know, your sphere of influence, the people you hang with, the inner three. Is this what's really important to you? Because I need to know something. If you love me more than these, it's going to be a problem. But Jesus confronts him right where his heart is, and he says, do you love me more than this? Regardless of the situation, we don't necessarily have clarity on it, but uh, Peter answers. Jesus says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. His first indication, feed them the word of God. The second part, Jesus says to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. I added an S there. Take care of my sheep. The second part of this is not just feed them, but provide the care, nurture, guidance, and protection that they need. A second command to him. Peter's probably hoping that it's over and thinking about how many times he denied the Lord. The third part of this goes. Then Jesus says to Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt bad because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He answered Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, Peter had been on an amazing roller coaster with Jesus. He had been there from the beginning. He had seen so many different things. He truly has experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He has to be remembering that perhaps three years ago, maybe even in this exact same area, something happened. See, Jesus called Peter from the Sea of Galilee. Now, I can't prove that, but in my mind, as I'm studying this, I could just picture as the sunlight starting to come up and Peter starting to have full recollection of all the different things that he's done, here he is in the exact same place that it started, the exact same place where he met him for the first time and told him, I'm going to change your career from being a fisher of fish to a fisher of men in that exact same place, in that exact same space. And three years, maybe three and a half years later to the time, he's telling him, I'm calling you again. And, and Peter's mind has to be blown. He has to be recalling on the fact that not only did he deny Jesus the last time he saw him, but if you read Mark 14, 70, uh, 71 correctly, it says that Peter boldly denied. Mark 14, 71 says Peter boldly denied. Now, there's some fun words to look up there because boldly would almost lend itself towards more like a cursing, okay? like, like an, such an emphatic denial of Jesus that it's just over the top. And he has to be thinking to himself, there's no way. There's no way with what I've done that he could still be calling me. I mean, I'm so desperate that I've gone back to my former life, and now I can't even catch fish. I can't do anything. And it's not because Peter hasn't repented. It's not because Peter hasn't wept bitterly. He has. He's gone out. He's wept. He's tried to process this whole thing, but he still just can't see any hope. He still can't see any restoration to his former life. Yet once again, on that very same shore that he was once called, he's having this moment. He's having this moment where Jesus is pursuing him. Jesus pursued him from the beginning, and Jesus is pursuing him now. 
And that's another really good point that we can stop and make right now. For the record, in case you're wondering, in case you forgot, Jesus pursued you. There's never been a sinner who pursued Jesus. Jesus pursues us. The work of the Spirit of God is to open your eyes to be revealed that you are being pursued by the Almighty. In that sin state that you're in, the Spirit of God allows you to see your sinfulness and you have the opportunity. The Bible then declares there's only one unforgivable sin for that very reason. If there's only one unforgivable sin, it's the sin of blasphemy to refute the work that the Holy Spirit is actually doing and telling you that you are a sinner lost in your sin in need of a Savior. And Peter knows it wasn't blasphemy. It was just a ridiculous sin. It was a sin of denial. It was a hopeless sin. It was just a spur of the moment. But still, it was too much. Could Jesus seriously think that he could be restored? Jesus not only thinks he can restore, guys, but this is what Jesus does. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I'm kind of an all-in guy, in case you haven't spent any time with me. I don't really have a 50% switch. And because of that, I traditionally don't do things like playing games with students or other nuances that allow people to have kind of switches of on and off. I'm kind of all-in or all-out. And because of that, even in my relationships with you, I should just state publicly, if you're in a relationship with me, one of the things you're going to love is when I'm all-in and you're happy, you're going to be really happy with me. But unfortunately, when I'm all out and I do something that doesn't work for you, you're going to be really disappointed. And that's why I always kind of feel like camaraderie with Peter, because that's kind of what he is, right? He's all in. And then he starts thinking, didn't I once walk on water? Yes, I did. Didn't I sink a few seconds later? Yes, I did. But didn't I once correctly identify Jesus as his true Messiah? I did. But didn't I later boldly even cursing him three times in front of everyone. But didn't, wasn't I the first one to proclaim to the Gentiles that Jesus is the Messiah? I was. And now I'm the first to throw it all away. Peter, who was so confident, so bold that Matthew 26 said, even if all men give up and turn away because of you, I will never Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will never say I do not know you. What boldness he once had to where he is now. Boldness followed by what? Fear. Confidence followed by what? Doubt. Now that's something we can all relate to this morning. But Jesus tells him, Peter, that's not the last laugh. Because if Peter has in fact lost his call, he has every reason to be hopeless. But Peter has not lost his call. And Jesus says, no, little pebble. One day you will be the rock. One day you will be the rock, the cornerstone that I build on. Jesus says, I'm not done with you. All of us are going to fail. All of us are going to have epic falls. And when we need restoration and we need forgiveness, be encouraged. Jesus' answer is this. I will never leave or forsake you. Never now, I know that you will leave me, and I know that you will forsake me, but I want you to understand something. Not only will I never leave or forsake you, but when I do forgive you, and when you do ask for, a sin, for your sins to be forgiven, I will forgive them as far as the north is from the south. Did he say that? North is from the south? See, that'd be a problem for some of us. Now, sometimes I think you, we read the Bible and we kind of forget the nuances of it. That'd be a problem because north and south are measurable poles, right? 
They're pretty good distance between the two, but if he inadvertently said north and south, although it's a decent amount of distance, it does indicate something, that there is a period of time where the grace of God runs out. But he didn't say that. He said as far as the east is from the west. Now, in case you hadn't thought about that, you can go as far east as you want, and you'll never stop going east. And you can go as far west as you want, and you'll never stop going west. And Peter needs that kind of hope. I need that kind of hope. I have a feeling you need that kind of hope because we're really good at sinning. We're really good at failing. We're really good at forgetting our ways. We're really good at forgetting that come to Jesus moment we had on the road to Damascus, right? That that moment where God called us so mightily. Maybe it was a camp. Maybe it was at a church. Maybe it was at a simple altar like this. But we've all had that moment in our life where Jesus tapped us on the shoulder and said, you, I'm going to build on your shoulders. I'm going to do something with you. And the response that we had is, me? Why me? Why would you choose me? And Jesus says, because I got you and I believe in you. And I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. So fall at my feet, ask the questions that you have, but understand this, the commission I have for you can only be done by you. Whether it was days ago, weeks ago, or months ago, at whatever time you lose that calling and need restoration, this account of Peter tells us one simple thing. Jesus never runs out on us. You could be 100% all in and do really well, and that day will come when you fail everyone, and all your friends and all your family, they point the finger at you and they say, how could you do this? Just know in that moment, there's still one shoulder. There's still one set of arms that waiting for you like a prodigal to turn to. No matter how many times you failed, no matter how many people in the inner circle have told you it's not going to work, Jesus waits like the prodigal for you to simply turn and acclimate yourself towards him and move towards him. And what does he do? He comes running to us. Now, was there a cost to Peter for his sins? Yeah, if you read the rest of the account, it's a pretty serious cost. He has to find out the kind of death that he's going to have. He has to, kinda, he has to find out some other things about the rest of his life that are, are going to be pretty difficult. But does it give Peter a strength that he doesn't currently have? Yes, right? In the end, what kind of death does Peter die? He's persecuted, he's martyred, and, and, what, and, and how is he martyred? On a cross. But does he hang in the same position that the Lord hung in? He beckons them, not, not worthy, turn me upside down. Now, I'm pretty sure that we're a long ways from like capital punishment to that degree, and I don't know, my wife and me are both involved with police and kind of drama stuff like that. And sometimes we see people and we think, man, they, they really deserve some kind of, you know, for what they've done. But no matter what we think, I mean, it doesn't really get worse than that. But to tell yourself, I'm not even worthy to die like that. I'm not even worthy to die in the same fashion that Jesus died. Inverted. This is a man who went from complete and utter zero to complete another spiritual hero in his brokenness, in his depravity, in his sin-scarred carcass. He brought that, what he had to the Lord. He sat down and he ate a few fish. And somehow at the end of the conversation, what he got was this, that Jesus isn't done with me. I don't know about you, but that says volumes to me. I'm someone that when I'm 
when I feel like I'm not worthy, when I feel like, for instance, communion, like I'm one of those pastors that doesn't feel worthy of giving communion. When you talk about inviting people in to take communion and take the body and blood of Christ and be reminded, there's an overwhelming sense of like, how did he choose us? How does he choose me to do such a work? I simply fall back on Peter, on default of Peter, and simply say it's never been about us. It's, remember when he got to the shoreline, he didn't need their fish. He didn't need their fire. He already has everything that he needs. What he needs is us. What he wants is us. And what he desires is relationship with us. And the only thing that we can truly do to refute that is to refuse the Spirit of God. That's why there's only one unforgivable sin. Are other sins horrific? Yeah, but they still count one. They still count one. And they can be forgiven. Now, there's one little nuance in there. And I'm doing pretty good for time, so I'm excited. There's one little nuance in there. Now, when you go to seminary and you have the privilege of doing some behind-the-scenes study, and there's a point in your seminary pastoral life where you start to think, is it beneficial for me to study Greek? Is it beneficial for me to learn some of these nuances? Will there be a time in my teaching ministry where word nuances would be a benefit to exegete, to draw out and share with you guys to reveal a story behind the story? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Okay? If you have an interest in reading God's Word and you're curious, like, I wonder what this actually says, there's two um, software that, are, that I used to use. I'm sure they've been around. QuickVerse and Logos are simple software that you can put on your Bible. There's free software now that you probably can use. Of course, you can always still just get a Strong's Concordance. But there are times in the Bible where your ability to deduce the true meaning, the true rendering of a word are going to be very beneficial to you. And today, in that little passage that we had, there was a word in there that I think if we go back in and read, we're going to rediscover a final nugget. The word in that is love. Love. Right? Jesus said, do you love me? Now, I don't know about you, but I've been teaching students and teaching people for a long time, and it's always been a privilege of mine to teach them that, biblically speaking, the word love is not pretty much the same word we use in English for love, right? Um, Eric and I love the beach, I love fishing, you love in and out um, I love the Dodgers, some of you like other teams. Um, I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. Um, love, right? Like we've taken this word love and we've made it so, you know, woohoo, like put it on a balloon and it means nothing. But that's not necessarily the way the word love was written, especially when it comes to Greek. Having the ability to kind of take that word and take a look back, and it tells us there's pretty much from minus three separate renderings of love in the New Testament. There's a, there's a fourth, but it's a little too nuanced based, so I won't get into it. But for the record, the unconditional love that God is always talking about is agape, unconditional. The kind of love that most of us have for one another would be more like phileo, which is brotherly love, which is the city Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. And then there's a third version in there, eros, which is not necessarily used so much, but it would be the stem word for erotic. And it's the kind of love that's kind of more sensual in nature. It's basically used for more pagan rituals. It's not necessarily something you would aspire to have towards someone, although it would be understandable it was there, but it would be something you'd want to control. Let me reread that conversation to you with a little bit of Greek 
underlying. Now, I'm going to read this to you, and I'm going to use the civil liberty of being the message. You guys know what the message is? An interesting Bible where people paraphrase and use their own thing. I'm going to try to reread this to you in such a way that I think you're going to understand something additional about the conversation that will give us one final nugget of truth for today. You see, when Jesus asked Peter in verse 15, when they were done finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of, son of John, do you love do you agapeo? Do you unconditionally love me? You only get, do you love? I don't think any of your Bibles have Greek renderings there where you, if you have contextual words where sometimes you have a one or a two or a noting and you can go to a footnote, you might catch it. But for the record, most of you just read, do you love me? That's not what he's saying. He's being very specific. He's not asking him, do you love me? Like you love cheeseburgers. He's saying, do you unconditionally? conditionally love me like I love you. Because Peter's response back to him is very specific as well. Peter says, I phileo you. Now, phileo is an interesting word. There's another version of it too for all you word study people, sterge, which is another version of friend. But the rendering most probably used here is fond Fond, F-O-N-D, fond. I'm fond of you. That's problematic, right? Jesus is not asking, are you fond of me? Do you like me? Because the second time he asks him, Jesus once again says, do you agapeo me? Do you unconditionally love me, Peter, like I love you? And Peter cannot respond. That he does. He says, you know, I phileo you. So the third time that Jesus asked him, Jesus then says, so you like me. And Peter says, I get it. Now I know why this is not working. I don't unconditionally love him like he loves me. Now this is an interesting nuance in our relationship with God. A lot of people are fond of God. Why not? Have it as your backup plan, right? Try life, do what you can, be a good person, whatever that means, and be fond of God. If he really did make this earth and planet and all the stuff you guys said he did, it would be a good thing to be fond of him. But what Jesus is saying specifically to one of the inner three who's seen everything, done everything, and knows everything firsthand is, I don't want you to like me. That's not sufficient for me. And in the end, that won't work. I only want one thing from you. Unconditional love. Because guess what, guys? The only way a human being can unconditionally love is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is physically and supernaturally beyond your ability to love any other way other than eros or phileo without the supernatural power of unconditional love that God gives us. Because remember, we're in a sin, our, our state right now before God is sin state. We are fallen beings. You don't teach a two-year-old how to sin. Any grandparents in here? Yeah. I get my four-month-old now. He's still pretty loving and happy, but I mean, we don't have to teach someone how to Take a toy from someone and whack their sibling with their toy across the head 
and somehow think that that's an absolutely normal behavior. We have to teach them how to be civil, right? Right now in student ministries, Josh and I are working with the students at Thanksgiving, and we're teaching students how to be thankful. Why? Because that's not what they're learning. That's not what they know. You have to teach people how to be thankful. You have to remind them that a changed heart, a changed person, someone who's come to a saving knowledge in Christ is now a new creation in Christ. Where's Josh? That'll teach. Right? A new creation in Christ means you're able to do things that formerly were not known to you. Your sin nature does not want you to share toys with other people, right? Your sin nature says mine. It's all mine. And anything else that you have is mine too. And Jesus says, wait a minute. That's not who you are anymore. I don't need you to like your neighbor. I need you to love your neighbor. Whenever you guys see the word love in the Bible, can I just encourage you from this point on, take the time to strong that word up, the, the accordance. Look for the reference of what that word is because the nuance of English love has ruined us in our ability to truly understand and comprehend what love means. Like if I like you, I might do some things for you, right? And if you like me, you might do some stuff for me. But when I do something you don't like, thinking about this, I'm totally, I'm hand-boning right now, huh? But this is why we leave the church. This is why we leave marriages. This is why we leave one another. Because we like each other plenty, as long as we do what each other like. Right, church? But when you stop doing what I like, I have other options. So I'm going to go exercise them. But if I love you, hmm. I don't have that option. See, love says, for better or for worse. Man, that makes me mad when I think about how many marriages I've done. I've only had one marriage break, by the way. It happened here. And Nathan and Sarah, I love you guys and I pray for you guys daily. But I've only had one marriage that I've done break. But I will never do another marriage for someone that I'm not unequivocally sure that they unconditionally love each other. Because loving each other as friends is not going to work. Liking each other and being fond when they do what you want is not enough to make something work. You need the supernatural power. Peter needed the supernatural power of his Lord to restore him, say, okay, little pebble, one day you will be the rock that I build on. One day you will be the solid rock so that you can die upside down. Not exactly what I aspire to when I think about my career in ministry. But the reality is, in this life, you will have. And in this world we live in right now, we have. And if you're overwhelmed, if you're here today, and you're finding yourself overwhelmed by the fact that you seem further from your call than you do closer to your call, maybe you just need to go fishing. Maybe you need to go back and, and think about what your old life was like, because I guarantee you want to come up empty. If you want to come up with a big zero, try to go back to your old life. By the way, there's a really vile teaching in the Bible talking about a dog that returns to its vomit, and that's what I always teach my students. When you want to go back to your old life, remind yourself what the Bible calls your old life. Vile. There's no going back for us, guys. We are not designed to go back. As Christians, we're new creations. We have one direction to go. Do we have to understand it? Are we going to be great at it? Is it all going to fall in line? No. 
Will everyone like us? Will people be happy? And people say nice things to me? No. But is it worth it? Yes. Right? It's the high calling. It's a place where you labor for things where moth and rust and thieves can't steal. And you have to remind yourselves that just as we taught the students this week, even though we lose the fifth inning or the sixth inning or the seventh inning, we have a mighty comeback in the ninth, and our God wins. And that's what team you're on. So stop worrying about your stats and your errors and how many plays you did or didn't make and realize you're part of the team and we need you. I need you. E, we, we need you guys. Like, it's really tough right now. I know it's really tough. And we need you. We need everyone to do what they can. I need you to start inviting your neighbors to church. I need you to be paying attention to the people that God's placed in your life. There's a reason why I get my hair cut from someone in the church. Because I want him to know how important he is to the church. And I want to support him. But more than that, I think we need to support one another. We need to be there. We need to keep it simple. Go back to just praying for people for no apparent reason. Right? And stop saying, I'm sorry, the only thing I can do is pray. Would you, would you do me one final favor? On behalf of the faith of Christ, stop saying, the only thing I can do is pray. What? How did we get to that point, church? The only thing you can do is pray. That's the only thing you should have been doing the whole time. All that other stuff you did was frivolous. If you didn't start with prayer, then whatever you just did was for naught anyways. The only thing you should do to knock walls down is pray. It should never be about your strength or your powers. He doesn't need it. The fire's already started. The fish are already on the coal. He just needs you to sit down and be reminded. Sopping wet, Peter. Completely lost hope, Peter. I'm not done with you. I got a plan for you. And I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to have the band come up and then I'm going to pray. And I hope that this morning... If you're here and you find yourself in need of prayer, we always have the opportunity to pray. Myself and Pastor Eric are here. Um, you can always go to the back of the church. There's usually some elders. If they're in the building, they'll be back there and available to pray with you. And we just want to remind you, if you're here or even watching online, and for some reason this morning you realized you've been living in a state of kind of just confused. You didn't even know that God has called you and that God has planned something for you then maybe today is the day where you can make just a simple profession of faith. Maybe today is that day you profess Jesus in front of men and he professes you in front of the Father. Maybe today is that day you take that first step into the light to say, you know what, it's okay. Me, like Thomas, I've had my questions, but I want to bring them to Jesus. And through that, I want to build a relationship and I want to initiate a stage of fallenness from my sin nature to the fact that Jesus says I'm more than a conqueror in Christ who has died for me. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I thank you for the strength that comes in brokenness. I thank you for the reality that is a life well lived, knowing that Peter is not going to be remembered as someone who boldly denied Jesus. Instead, he's going to be someone who boldly died for Jesus. His failures did not make him, Father. They, they did break him, but you allowed him to be beautifully and lovingly and kindly rebuilt and restored and renewed. And almost in many ways, Father, recommissioned. What a blessing to know that today as we stand in front of you, in whatever state, spiritually speaking, we are, that if we would just come forward, if we would just make that first step, that you, like the prodigal father, will meet us in that brokenness and begin a process of restoration that leads to an eternal relationship with the Almighty God. Thank you for everything that you've done. 
your death, burial, and resurrection, and your work on the cross. Father, we do it in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.
references, but it's from the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel looks out on a valley full of dry bones that he knows represents the people of God, the people that were called to be a kingdom of priests that would carry the hope that they had found in God into the world. And he saw nothing but a valley of dry bones. And then the breath of God, the Holy Spirit began to breathe over that valley. And those, and this is a vision, so he's not seeing this, but he's seeing it in his mind's eye that God begins to resurrect cold and lifeless hearts as he breathes new hope into them. And I just, I can't help but to feel that this is a prayer that I have for our church. I have a feeling there's a lot of us in here this morning who like Jesus a lot. But if we're honest, our relationship with him has grown pretty cold. We've, we've, maybe we've just been beaten up too much. We're weary. I know there's a lot of weary people, weary hearts in here. I'm weary right now. I've got a teenager that comes with the territory. But I think also perhaps there's some element of God couldn't possibly use me because I've screwed up. And I love the picture we get this morning of one of the guys who should, should have known better. And he screwed up big. And Jesus is like, I'm not giving up on you, dude. I love you too dang much. And as Jeff reminded us this morning, we can like Jesus, but apart from the Holy Spirit's enablement, we cannot unconditionally love him to the point where it doesn't matter what it costs us. We can't help but get to our feet. And so my prayer this morning is, Holy Spirit, fall upon us because we didn't come here just to hear new information. We didn't come here just to learn nuance of Greek. We came here to have an encounter with the living God, and that is our prayer right now. That is my prayer, is that you would be free to fall upon my church family, that you would fill us up, that we couldn't help but move not just in this moment, but as we, as we prepare to leave, that we could not help but walk out in the empowerment of your spirit, different than when we came in, because we go with a fresh anointing of your presence in our life, and we go into those dark valleys that we call home, and our neighborhood, and our workplace, and our spheres of influence, and we say, God, radiate through me, Jesus glorify yourself in me. Holy Spirit, have your way with me. For your name's sake, Jesus, not our own. So Holy Spirit, come and breathe upon us, we pray. Set a fire. Holy Spirit,